Hey guys, this is James. Welcome back to the channel. I am so glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. We are finally starting Volume 2. This is on the Middle Ages. And I'm trying to scroll back through my notes so I can get to the beginning. We can do Chapter 1. We've got a lot of material to cover. Um, Dr. Nick Needham... Uh, in his series, The 2,000 Years of Christ's Power, uh, if you're looking for the books, Volume 1 has got kind of a maroon color on the front of it. And that, that's called The Age of the Early Church Fathers. Volume 2 is the Middle Ages. It has a green uh, ribbon across the front of it. And if I can find Volume 3... That covers the Reformation. Um, I don't see it. Uh, I do know I have it. I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf. Uh, it has an orange uh, thing on the front of it. Um, oh, oh, well. Oh, it's in my bag. That's right. Yep, it's in here. Yeah, the volume three is the Renaissance and Reformation. So I have, and I believe there's a fourth one that covers from the Reformation to the present, but I, ha I don't have that one yet. But we're in volume two. Chapter one is important because I, ag I agree with Dr. Needham that really, if you're going to divide up history into uh, uh, ancient times, um, you know, the early church fathers, and then uh, the Middle Ages, um, some people call it the Dark Ages. I don't think that's a, f a fair assessment. Um, and then, of course, the Renaissance and Reformation. Really, the Middle Ages started when Islam came to exist and uh, really came into power because uh, Muhammad is, I don't agree with his teachings. Obviously I don't, uh, I don't believe he received a revelation from, from God, but I will say this. He was a uh, clearly a good military leader and the people that came after him were because they took over a lot of area in uh, northern uh, northern Africa and uh, what we refer to as the Middle East, you know, Iran, Iraq, Syria. Um, so we're going to talk about a lot of that today. I got some quarters in my pocket. I was going to wash my car. But I'll have to do that later. All right. In the preface, he says this. This is a quote from page 10. I often find myself telling people that the great spiritual and theological movement set rolling by Luther and Zwingli was, in fact, the best elements of Western medieval Christianity, trying to correct the worst elements. So, um, so chapter 1 is 
Islam and the church. Now, many lands that were Christian had now been conquered by Muhammad and his followers. And this is the key. I, I mentioned this earlier on page 15. It's a direct quote. Some historians have argued that this marked the true beginning of the Middle Ages. And I would agree with that. Uh, the rise of Islam. Uh, um, here's another quote. The Islamic faith from its origin to the present day has always posed the greatest political and military threat and the most awe-inspiring missionary challenge to the followers of Jesus Christ. Um, the problem with the accounts of Muhammad's life is the earliest biography written was 150 years after his death. So, here's what we do know. Muhammad was born in the city of Mecca, near the southwest coastal of Central Arabia in 570 or 571. His father died when Muhammad was only six years old. His uncle, Abu Talib, brought him up. He did marry a wealthy widow. Uh, it's spelled K-H-A-D-I-J-A-H. Khadija, I think. Uh, I, I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, she was 40 when he was only 25 when they married in 610 came the central experience of Muhammad's life, which was divert, to divert the entire river of hi human history into a fresh and revolutionary channel. He claimed to have received several visions from God. Allah, Allah is just Arabic for God. Uh, Islam means submission. Uh, here's another direct quote from the book. He regarded Jesus as his own forerunner, sinless and virgin-born, a miracle worker, the greatest of God's prophets, apart from Muhammad himself, but the divine or eternal Son of God who became flesh. Muhammad also refused to accept that Jesus had been crucified. God would not allow his prophets to be treated so shamefully. Now, I can kind of speak on this for a little bit, because I did, in fact, spend 11 months in Iraq. So I had interpreters that worked for me. I don't know what I just did there. Okay. Um, I'm wanting to stand up so I can talk and just kind of be myself. I'm also wanting to make something to drink here. I like those Mio drinks where you squeeze squeeze in the flavoring and it, you just add water. And um, But Muslims... They're um, different in that um, you've got to understand that if we're talking about modern Muslims, there is a tremendous amount of fear that um, you know when the wall fell a lot of bad stuff went into Eastern Europe and into Russia. Uh, pornography, uh, organized crime, drugs. And so there's this kind of hatred of Western culture because they don't want that stuff in their countries. Now, granted, Saudi Arabia is coming around. Uh, you know, they allegedly had a reporter killed, but, you know, they've been doing wrestling events over there and my experience of at least our 
interpreters is they had satellite television and they were able to see, you know, Western culture. They they liked Western culture. They, um, so things are changing over there. What they don't want is they don't want things from Western culture that violate the Quran. Um, the five pillars of Islam. Uh, the Shahada is the confession of faith. Uh, it's not simply it's not just something you do. Like I, you can't pull your best buddy aside and say, "Hey, look, you know, you need to to get right with God." So just confess that there's one God and Muhammad is his prophet. You know, and do that while you're at work. You you have to do that in front of an assembly of Muslims, and they want you to do that on a Friday during their prayer time. Um. The Salah is the idea of praying five times a day, and you have to be facing towards Mecca. So for American Muslims, obviously they're facing east. Uh, the idea of giving to the poor is the third pillar. I think it's pronounced Zakah. But um, it, it's, it's very vague. It, there's no like set amount but you're supposed to help out poor people. Um, number four is the fasting during the month of Ramadan. Now, when they fast, it's different. They go the entire day from sunup to sundown. And uh, remember, their calendar is based off of the lunar calendar, so Ramadan is not the same time of every year. Since our calendar has some months that have 30 days, and some days they have 31 days, and they go by the lunar calendar, which the months are 28 days, Ramadan shifts from year to year. And, of course, the Hajj, which is the once... Oh, in a lifetime pilgrim pilgrimage to Mecca, and you want to go and see, there's a court where the I forgot what that stone is called, but it's it's really pretty and it's very interesting. So, um, the Hadith is a, a group of sorry or a collection of sayings or traditions about what Muhammad said. So just like the Jews have the Tanakh, and then they have uh, written... Um, my mind just went completely blank. Um, they have written traditions based upon scriptures, um, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't have time to look it up, but it's very similar in that aspect. Um, the Hadith collectively with the Quran form the Sunnah or the Path. 
uh, many feel the Quran, the Hadith, and the Ijima, which is the consensus of the Muslim community, make up the threefold authority which Muslims follow. Now, people in Mecca, you know, when Muhammad first started off, he said, Oh, I received this revelation from God. There's only one God, and his name is Allah. Uh, they were not exactly happy with uh, him doing this. Um, they pretty much wanted him to leave. So he did, and he went to Medina, And but his teachings caught on quickly with the people of Medina, and they were the first actual Muslim or independent Muslim community. They were the first ones. Now, he goes into a little bit of detail about the Byzantine Empire in the 7th century. There is some doctrinal conflict between the Chalcedonians and the Monophysites. But uh, the Byzantine Empire is about to basically be ransacked. Let's start off with all the places that the Islamic army to understand when they were united they were a powerful group of people. They really were. Um, 635 they took Damascus. In 637 they took Jerusalem. In 638 they took Antioch, Caesarea, and 17 other series, cities along the Syrian coast. In 640 the Muslim troops invaded Egypt. By 641, Alexandria fell. It's interesting, the Monophysites in Syria and Egypt welcomed the Muslims as liberators from the Byzantine Empire, as they had welcomed the Persians before. Um, here's where things kind of went haywire. Ali was Muhammad's cousin. So the party of Ali we know as the Shias. For a while, they were called Shiites, but um, because that word looks like a bad word in English, um, they changed, so they just said Shias. I'm not saying anything negative about the Muslim faith. What I'm saying is that some Americans took the word Shiite and uh, and um, used it as a way of uh, disgracing Muslim faith. I, I don't think it was a good idea. Uh, and the Shias uh, part of Muslim faith, they have a living leader or an imam. Um, I've met imams in the Muslim faith. Um, at least the ones here in America were friendly. Um, now the other side of this disagreement said the nation's leaders could elect a new caliph. This caliph does not need to be a part of Muhammad's family. So they could elect their own new leader of the 
Muslim faith, I know for us, it would be very similar to electing a new pope. Um, of course, not all Christians um, believe in the authority of the, of the pope, but um, that the structure is similar. Okay. These people that believe that the caliph does not need to be a part of Muhammad's family, those are the Sunnis. In their eyes, the Hadith, the Quran, and the Najima are more important than having a living leader for the guidance of the faithful. And the vast majority of Muslims in the world today are Sunnis. Um, interesting thing that Dr. Needham said in page 27 he said, the events of Karbala introduced a new theology and spirituality of suffering and martyrdom in Shia Muslim Islam that were not really present in Sunni Islam. Um, I did not write in my notes those events. You can look it up for yourself. Iran is a Shia stronghold, but only 10 to 15% of all Muslims are Shias. Uh, he didn't go into a whole lot of depth about it. Uh, I've heard about them. Uh, there are, is a branch of Islam. They're kind of like Muslim mystics. Um, if there was such a thing as a New Age Muslim, <laughs> uh, that would be your Sufis. Uh, the whirling dancers. Um, they they tour America. They're very talented. Um, they're Sufis. Uh, the life of the church under Islamic rule. Now, Muhammad had recognized both groups as worshippers of Allah, the one true God. Those who had realized, received his previous revelations. Uh, he referred to uh, Jews and Christians as people of the book, although Muhammad thought that they had corrupted those revelations. Now, here's the interesting thing. And this started all the way back in the 600s. And this is a direct quote from the book. Quote, most damaging of all, Islamic law prohibited Christians from evangelizing Muslims. Conversion from Islam to Christianity was punished by death. It's interesting. I was in a restaurant having lunch earlier today. And I, I flipped. <laughs> I don't know. I was in such a hurry. I was trying to write my notes. And I put down, conversion from Christianity to Islam was punished by death. I was like, I, I think that's what they wanted. I think that's what the, the Muslims wanted people to do. So, obviously, I, I had to fix it. It says, conversion from Islam to Christianity was punished by death. I'm not sure how they felt if somebody converted from Judaism to Christianity or Christianity to Judaism. I think they were more interested in just Let's get these people to buy into the fact that there's more revelation from God. Um, one of these days, I'd, I'd do a lesson on the commonalities between Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Because uh, although I love BYU joining the Big 12, um, he too claims to have received additional revelation from God, and that's now in the Book of Mormon. So, uh, 
It's interesting that the Nestorians kind of prospered in certain areas. Uh, the most distinguished Nestorian thinker was under Muslim rule was Timothy I, who lived from 728 to 823. He was elected Catholicus, or leader of the Nestorian Church in 780. Um, and then Dr. Needham talks a little bit about John, John of Damascus, who lived from 675 to 749. He is often called the last of the Greek Church Fathers. Now, John of Damascus was Prime Minister of the Caliph Abu al-Amak in Damascus. He later moved to Jerusalem and retired to St. Sabbath Monastery. That's where he wrote his theological masterpiece in Jerusalem. It was called The Fountain of Knowledge. He also wrote a book called The Orthodox Faith, which was translated into Latin in the 12th century. And this really defended the use of icons. Remember, in the Middle Ages, some people hated the idea of using um, pictures in stained glass and other icons. They felt it was idolatry. Others said that this was a good tool to help teach and instruct people who couldn't read. You could throughout the church, throughout the year, if you had pictures of different people in the Bible in the windows, you could start off preaching through the Bible and talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then on the way down to Moses and then to King David and then Jesus and then the 12 apostles and then Paul. I mean, you could go, you know, throughout the year preaching through the Bible and if you had these pictures up on the wall, whenever you were preaching through, say, Exodus, you could point to the picture of Moses Say, all right, there's Moses. That's what, you know, and then you could, when you get to first and second Samuel, you could talk about King David. So it was a, I'd call it a good teaching tool. Um, being that, you know, I understand that not everybody learns by hearing. Not everybody is a auditory le le learner. Uh, some people need that visual aid. You know, they didn't have PowerPoint back then. They didn't have computers back then. They didn't have electricity back then. But they could put the pictures in the stained glass, and it was an effective tool for, for teaching material that was in the Bible, especially the people who couldn't read. So... I'm not bashing Catholics. I mean, I, I actually think that's one of the things that they, they did right, was to teach what was in the scriptures by using pictures. Um, he does make an interesting note that Muslim rulers left the Spanish church alone as long as it made no tips, attempts to criticize Islam or convert Muslims. Now, a Christian response to Islam, there were two main trailblazers of Christian mission to the Islamic world. You had Francis of Assisi, which uh, we'll talk about more when we cover chapter 8. Another person was a man named Raymond Lull, who lived from 1232 to 1316. Lull was born into a wealthy Catholic family in Palma, which is on the island of Pajorca, I think. P-A-J-O-R-C-K. 
C-A, I mean. Uh, two of the greatest apologists in the Middle Ages against Islam was John of Damascus in the East, Thomas Aquinas and Raymond Lull in the West. I'm not the biggest fan of Thomas Aquinas. Uh, some people are trying to say you have to learn Aquinas in order to understand theology. I don't believe that's true. However, he did stand up for the Christian faith against the Muslims. There were two main points that people, people who were critical, critical of the Islamic faith, and they mainly talked about the claims of Muhammad and the doctrine of God. Now the Muslims fired back and said, hey, what about this trinity? You know, Muslims accuse Christians of having three gods. Of course, the incarnation, you know, Christian apologists tried to show that Jesus was incarnate, which is interesting because the Quran says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Surah 3, verses 45-47, and the Quran calls him the Word of God. Surah 4, 171. Now, the thing about divine sovereignty, um, Muslims take it to a, an unhealthy level. They say that God is both the author of good and evil events. Now, Nick, Nick Needham says it like this, and I, I love the way he put this. Quote, evil is caused by the misuse of free will by created beings. God creates and sustains the will that does evil, permits it to do evil, and exploits its evil for good, but he does not cause it to do evil. After the fall, people developed or have a sinful nature. They have sinful desires, and that's what they want to do. They want to sin. They want to do things that please their flesh. God doesn't have to make people to sin. They do that all on their own. Uh, worship. Uh, Muslims were critical of Christians and said that they worshipped Mary. Uh, this is a direct quote from the book. Quote, However, it was more difficult for them to prove to Muslims that the religious veneration given to Mary was not worship in the strict sense of the term. Most Protestants would no doubt be inclined to the Muslim side of the argument here. Unquote. I think that's it. Yeah, there's the chapter. So... Um, I have today off. I'm, we're actually working Tuesday through Saturday. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to try to get the, the podcast done on Saturday. If it's not done on Saturday, I'll definitely do it on Sunday. I'm going to go to a coffee shop and I'm going to do my notes for Chapter 2 today. That way it's taken care of and all i got to do is attach the microphone to the phone, and then do what I'm doing right now, and that's just talk. Um, but I think it's important to understand this right here changed. This was a game changer. This, The events of Muhammad and his life and him pro or, or promoting a new religion is, um, is a game changer. We, you know, the world in 700 is much different than the world in 600. We've got this brand new religion on the, on the, that's arrived. Many of the areas of the Byzantine Empire were conquered and are now and, ha and still are Muslim nations. 
Egypt is a Muslim nation. Iran, Iraq is a Muslim nation. Saudi Arabia is a Muslim nation. That area of the world is predominantly Muslim. And so, um, how did, uh, you know, we're going to get into later on in the Middle Ages, we'll still have to deal with the Crusades, you know, because Christians believed that Jerusalem was the an important piece of, an, an important area to have, and, you know, it's where Christianity, uh, some of the important events, obviously, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ happened there. So, obviously, the Christians wanted control of that area. And then we'll talk about some other things. Obviously, we mentioned Aquinas in this lesson. We'll talk more in depth about him. Mentioned Francis of Assisi. We'll talk more about him later on in this series. Um, so that's why I refer to this as the Middle Ages. I don't like the term Dark Ages because, you know, people uh, were still trying to improve the world. They were still trying to make the world a better place. Um, in my opinion, the beginning of the Renaissance and the Reformation really was the invention of the printing press in 1453. Because once people had access to books, especially books written in their own vernacular, where people could read, you know, in French or German or English or, you know, especially the Bible, that changed everything. People realized that some of the traditions that have crept into the Catholic Church were not scriptural. Of course, they had they dealt with a lot of stuff during. Vatican II, which is why I'm not I'm not bashing Catholics. I mean, there were just you know sometimes we get off track and you have to get get back on course. And Catholics would say that Vatican II corrected a lot of that. So I want to thank you so much for your patience. Uh, I think this is worthwhile to put this uh, material on the internet. Um. God willing, one day I'll, I will actually teach. And so to have these uh, podcasts available, um, people will be able to listen to them. Uh, God willing, one day there'll be people that are in my class and they'll be able to listen to this stuff on the side and kind of, you know, absorb the material. Heck, even for my class on historiography, I've got one book that's assigned to me, and then I have another book that I'm listening to, the audiobook, to help me to study. Um, so, uh, please uh, don't forget to check out the videos. Um, I, I guess every channel now has to have a, um, a handle or a, a name. You can look it up. So if you just go at James Paul White 47 you should be able to find my videos on YouTube. Um, so from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for listening and I will, uh, God willing, either next Saturday or Sunday do chapter two, but until then, I hope you have a great week.